Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Monday, February the 26th, 2024. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China's top legislature is preparing for its annual session that begins next week. Qatar and Egypt will each hold a round of talks on reaching a truce in the Israel-Hamas conflict. The sixth session of the UN Environment Assembly is taking place in Nairobi, Kenya this week. In business, measuring the progress of development in the Beijing-Tianjin-Hebei region. In sports, China's dominance at the World Team Table Tennis Championship Finals. In culture and entertainment, hundreds of millions on various platforms tuned in to China's annual Lantern Festival Gala. Now checking the day's top stories. China's top legislature has convened a meeting to prepare for its annual session due to open next week. The meeting of the Standing Committee of the 14th National People's Congress will deliberate a work report of the NPC Standing Committee and other issues, including a draft agenda of the upcoming annual uh, session. The 14th NPC will begin its second session in Beijing on Tuesday next week. At the upcoming 14th NPC annual session, policymakers are expected to lay out major plans for China's economic development. Over the years, the country has been pursuing high-quality growth with a special focus on technological innovation. A case in point lies in the eastern province of Shandong, where Chinese companies have helped hospitals and smaller cities and towns to benefit from the expertise of top institutions through domestic high-end technology. Zhou Yixin has this story. At the Qingdao Municipal Hospital, doctors are treating a patient suffering from severe heart disease. They are using high-end ultrasound diagnostic equipment developed by Hisense, a Chinese company. The equipment helps emergency physicians to rapidly evaluate the condition of patients. It especially helps doctors in primary medical institutions based in smaller cities or remote areas to make more accurate diagnoses and improve the professional skills of doctors. The diagnostic quality of primary medical institutions is remotely evaluated by experts from higher-level hospitals. At present, Qingdao Municipal Hospital is connected with 86 primary medical institutions and carried out thousands of remote imaging diagnoses in 2023 alone. Hisense Medical has been applying intelligent ultrasound equipment to primary medical institutions. Currently, our ultrasound equipment has been used in Shandong, Gansu and other provinces. We've also created remote diagnostic solutions that connect higher-level hospitals with grassroots medical institutions to improve diagnosis and treatment levels of primary medical institutions. The equipment also provides tips to doctors on their operating techniques to avoid missing the detection of lesions and is especially useful for those outside the ultrasonic department. In clinical practice, including critical illness rescues, emergency treatments and routine diagnosis and treatment of many diseases, ultrasound is a particularly good auxiliary method. But the training period for a professional sonographer is very long. The diagnostic assistance system of this equipment enables doctors in other departments to reach an operational technical level that a junior sonographer can master. 
In Weihai, Weigo, a Chinese company, has independently developed China's first laparoscopic surgical robot approved to enter the market by the national FDA. The surgical robot can be controlled remotely. During remote surgery, doctors are still able to perform minimally invasive operations on patients. At present, the equipment has successfully performed more than 60 remote operations with a success rate of 100%. The longest distance between the doctor and operating room is more than 3,000 kilometers. The development of domestic high-end medical equipment could help more and more people in China gain access to top-class medical resources. In the future, it is expected that people who live in small towns or remote areas will benefit from this, and won't have to go to top hospitals in big cities for proper diagnosis or treatment. That was Zhou Yixin on Chinese hospitals incorporating modern technologies into their diagnosis and treatment processes. The seed industry is an integral part of China's national strategy to ensure food security. The country leads the globe in rice breeding technology, but remains dependent on vegetable seed imports. Over the years, the eastern city of Shouguang has fostered a number of highly competitive companies that specialize in this field. And today, 70% of the seeds used in the city are domestically developed. Here's Zhou Yixin with more. Yin Jinghua spends harvest season picking cherry tomatoes in his greenhouse. Farmers in nearby villages almost all plant the popular fruit, making the small town a well-known production base for the crop. Besides cherry tomatoes, almost every town in Shouguang has a vegetable industry of some kind. Shouguang is a county-level city in Shandong's Weifang and is home to the biggest vegetable production and wholesale market in China. Starting in 2010, it began to attract talented individuals, increase investment, and boost the research and development of vegetable seeds. Since then, it's made a number of significant achievements. In the 1990s, the vegetable seeds market in Shouguang had been monopolized by imported seeds. They were expensive and often pushed up the prices, leaving vegetable farmers quite unhappy. After years of efforts, the market at Shouguang is seeing the share of domestic vegetable seeds rise from 54% in 2010 to the current 70%. The successful promotion of domestic seeds is key to their overall quality, and this has also attracted praise and recognition from farmers. I started growing cherry tomatoes in 2013. At the beginning, I basically used imported seeds. Since about 2020, I've been using domestic seeds and no longer really need imported seeds. Domestic seeds perform better than most imported seeds in terms of their disease resistance, yield, and quality, and the prices are reasonable. Currently, Shouguang has 15 vegetable breeding companies and has independently developed more than 200 seed varieties. Experts say this success is due to years of breeding practice and the development of high-end technology. The first step in the breeding process is to sow seeds we collect and raise seedlings in the greenhouse. We need to select seeds with strong disease resistance, high yield, and good quality. Then crossbreeding is carried out by selecting the seeds that perform well. During crossbreeding, thousands of combinations are used. After that, we select a few high-quality combinations to continue testing. In the laboratory, researchers mostly perform molecular labeling experiments to test the resistance of seeds to disease. 
Through tech, breeding efficiency has been improved and accelerated, allowing quality varieties to enter onto the market faster. As a leader in China's vegetable industry, Shouguang is now focusing its efforts on solving challenges and overcoming shortcomings. Policy support and the number of talents are both increasing as it makes strides toward the goal of building the so-called Silicon Valley of China's vegetable seed industry. That was Zhou Yixin on China's bid to achieve food security by cultivating its own vegetable seeds. Coming up, two upcoming rounds of talks for a truce in Gaza. Strengthening the foundation for a future powered by innovation, where high technology, high efficiency, and high quality converge. These three pillars are set to propel China's new productive forces and supercharge the Chinese economy into a new era of development. New industries, new models, and new growth momentum. Join CGTN as we guide you through the new productive forces poised to redefine the Chinese economy. And nine minutes past the hour. Uh, two rounds of talks to reach a truce in the Israel-Hamas conflict will be held in Qatar and Egypt. U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan says the U.S., Israel, and several other Middle East countries have reached an understanding on the terms of a potential deal. But he did not give any details. The Gaza Strip is still under Israeli siege and bombardment, with the humanitarian situation deteriorating. Associated Press journalist David Biller has more from Jerusalem. There is some progress in the sense that just a week ago, Netanyahu was saying that Hamas's demands were delusional. Those included uh, the release of thousands of Palestinian prisoners. And he also said that it didn't make sense for Israel to even participate in negotiations. Now he's showing that he does think negotiations could lead to an agreement. Um, you know, Egyptian state media said that the talks are resuming in Doha. But at the same time, we see Netanyahu saying that he's going to be asking for authorization to move into Rafah. This is the city that's pinned against the border of Egypt and Gaza. It normally has less than 300,000 people. Now it has about 1.4 million Gazans, many of them displaced and living in tents, crammed in. The UN has warned that any action in, in Rafah could be catastrophic. The US has said that it hasn't yet seen a credible plan to protect civilians. Um, so. You know, it, it's, it's obviously very worrisome to the international community. It may be a pressure tactic from Netanyahu, but at the same time, there's a reason to believe that he will indeed go into Rafah sooner or later. He said that four of six remaining battalions uh, of Hamas are concentrated in Rafah, and so Israel has no choice but to go in, and that obviously it will go in. Humanitarian conditions in Gaza have continued to deteriorate. Um, the UN warned of looming famine, uh, said it hasn't been able to make food deliveries in northern Gaza in about a month. At the same time, we know the World Food Program convoys have been, uh, you know, mobbed by, by desperate Palestinians, uh, and, and it's, they've faced total chaos. Hospitals in northern Gaza and Gaza City are now operating uh, without any fuel uh, for their generators, particularly one in Gaza City hasn't had fuel for 10 days. What that means is that Patients who are on di dialysis or in intensive care units um, could die. Spoiled medicines that are, that are sensitive could spoil. My colleagues at the AP are seeing this firsthand. I mentioned Rafa earlier that's suffering from overcrowding uh, and, and all the demands and stresses that creates. 
he was, uh, she was with a, a woman who was in a bread line today who said she spends three hours every day from six to nine to get a bundle of bread that she brings back to her tent that she shares with eight other displaced families. The colleague also went to a field hospital, the neonatal unit in this field hospital. And what, what she saw was truly disturbing. It was instead of one baby per incubator, there were three or four babies in each incubator because there was so much demand. That's because the babies are getting viral infections from being in crowded uh, conditions, respiratory. What the doctor told my colleague is that whereas that field hospital's unit was seeing one to two babies die per month, it is now seeing two to three per shift. That was David Biller on the Israel-Hamas conflict. Reports indicate that 23 people have been killed in and around Honunas in southern Gaza. Hamas says it's uh, retaliated with rocket attacks against Israeli soldiers and vehicles. Akram al-Satari has more from Rafa. Well, the fighting in western Honduras is still continuous. The, the fighting in eastern Honduras is also is still continuous. There were some reports about the Israeli uh, occupation forces redeploying in the areas. And also the fighting in southern Rafah is still continuous. The civil defense, they are going there to put off fires that are resulted by ongoing raids. And Khan Yunis also have, there have been some reports coming from Khan Yunis about the destruction of full blocks, residential blocks, about people who are still under the rubble of their homes and about around 68 people who killed so far. But the number is likely to increase after a series of Bombardment were reported from different parts of Khan Yunis and Gaza and the whole Gaza Strip as well. That was Akram al-Satari in Rafah. Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant has vowed to continue attacks on the Hezbollah militant group of Lebanon, even if a ceasefire is reached with Hamas in Gaza. He says his country will increase the firepower against Hezbollah in the north and will continue until the full withdrawal of the group from the border and the return of residents to their homes. Hezbollah has been trading fire with the Israeli military across the southern border of Lebanon in support of Hamas. The current round of Israeli-Lebanese conflict has displaced tens of thousands of residents. The Houthi group in Yemen is reported to be planning to intensify attacks on U.S., British, and Israeli ships in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden in response to Israel's military action in Gaza. U.S. forces responded with dozens of raids on Houthi sites in Sana'a and other parts of Yemen. Ahab Al-Fandi has more from the Yemeni capital. A new wave of strikes launched midnight Saturday evening by U.S. British Kalshin targeted primarily the capital's Yemen Sana. Multiple airstrikes and raids targeted at Atan and Nahdain districts. As well as an insecticide factory in the Nahdain neighborhood, the American strikes also targeted the southern governorate of Taiz and the Hajja governorate in northern Yemen. The leaders of the Houthi movement say the attacks would not affect their military capabilities. According to the U.S. forces, its attacks aim to weaken the Houthis' ability to target ships in the Red Sea. The Houthis issued a statement after launching new attacks on American oil ships in the Gulf of Aden, as well as drone attacks on American battleships in the Red Sea. The missile targeted a number of American warships in the Red Sea with a number of drones. The Yemeni armed forces confirm they will confront the British-American escalation by further qualitative military operations against all hostile targets in the Red and Arabian Seas in defense of our country, people, and nation. Daily life in the capital, Sanai, goes on. Traffic has not been affected by the airstrikes. 
These residents of the capital say the international strikes wouldn't affect their support for the Palestinian people. The raids will not discourage the Yemeni people from living their lives as naturally as you can see now. Whatever the U.S. and Britain bombard us with, we will not leave our brothers in Gaza. We will continue to support them and will remain the brothers of Palestinians. Sana has warned of further escalation in the Red Sea, stating that the targeting of Yemeni territories wouldn't go unanswered, but instead would result in a greater response and more escalation. So far, the Ansar al says it has targeted 15 international ships in Anabarg since the November 19th last year. That was Ahab Alfandi in Sena. Ukraine's defense minister says half of the promised Western military support to Ukraine has failed to arrive on time, leading to more deaths of its soldiers. Ukraine's military and political officials gathered for a forum in Kyiv on Sunday. They discussed achieving Ukraine's goals as the conflict enters its third year. President Volodymyr Zelensky said 31,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed since the conflict began, the first time Ukraine's confirmed the number of losses. Megumi Lim reports from Kyiv. Ukraine's top officials took part in a forum on Sunday and laid out the country's goals for the year ahead. Mikhailo Fedorov, the Minister of Digital Transformation, reiterated Kyiv's goal of producing one million drones. And Alexander Kamishin, the Minister of Strategic Industries, said Ukraine's defense capabilities will increase sixfold this year. Zelensky's chief of staff, Andriy Yermak, said Ukraine and its foreign partners could invite Russia to a future peace summit if Moscow was willing to discuss an end to the conflict on Kyiv's terms. Zelensky held a press conference after the forum where he appealed for more support from the United States. He said Ukraine was in need of more aid within a month. Defense Minister Rustem Umirov said 50% of Western armed deliveries are delayed. Since the situation is always dynamic, at the moment commitment doesn't constitute delivery. 50% of commitments are not delivered on time. So which means that in the mathematics of war, we look to the enemy. Their economy is almost two trillion they use up to 15% uh, official and unofficial budget to the war, which constitutes over 150 billion US dollars. So annually, it's officially. So basically, whatever committed that doesn't come on time, we lose people, we lose territories. Meanwhile, Russia's defense ministry said that its forces had advanced near Avdiivka. Kyiv's troops retreated from the eastern city last week and confirmed that the town was under Russian control. Open source maps showed Russian troops had now occupied the village of Lastochkine. Also on Sunday, an overnight attack by Russia reportedly destroyed the Kostyantinivka central station in the Donetsk region. No casualties were reported as the train station had not been in operation for a long time, according to Ukraine's railway company. That was Megumi Lim on the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Russia says its forces have taken better positions near Avdivka and Donetsk in eastern Ukraine after President Vladimir Putin ordered the military to push further into Ukraine. However, Ukraine's not confirmed Russian gains in the Donetsk region, instead uh, focusing on clashes around Avdivka and other areas. Russia's defense ministries also claim success in repelling Ukrainian forces near several villages south of Bakhmut and securing better positions near Avdivka, which Russian forces captured last 
last week. Putin said last Tuesday that Russian troops had pushed further into Ukraine to build on their success after the fall of Avdivka. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky said he'll not rest until every Russian soldier is driven out. Coming up, the UN Environment Assembly in Kenya. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. 21 minutes past the hour. The succession of the UN Environment Assembly is taking place in Nairobi, Kenya this week. Over 5,000 representatives from around the world will attend the event to discuss some of the most pressing challenges concerning Earth. United Nations says the assembly comes at a critical time, as 2023 was the hottest year on record. It says a million species are heading toward extinction, and pollution remains a leading cause of premature death globally. UN Environment Program Executive Director Inger Anderson says the main item on the agenda is how multilateralism can help to solve climate change, biodiversity loss and pollution. Irrespective of where we live, if you are polluted in Asia, then I'm polluted next door. Uh, if, uh, if we have loss of biodiversity, it's a global loss to humanity. If we use too much pollution in our waterways or if we overfish in our oceans or if plastics go into the oceans, need not come from Kenya, but it could wash up on Kenya's shores. The point is, the only way we can solve some of these problems is by talking together. And talking together is what multilateralism is. The UN Environment Chief adds that the conference is about highlighting uh, incoming dangers that could potentially damage the earth and taking preemptive action to prevent them. Uh, the attendees will debate on resolutions ranging from halting desertification to ending biodiversity loss. The conference wraps up on Friday. The UN Environmental Assembly will hold discussions on how multilateralism can help during a global environmental crisis. Earlier, former Secretary General John Scanlon of the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora shared his expectations for the meeting. I do think, though, that we do need to expect more from the UN Environmental Assembly. This is the sixth session, and I think it was intended to be, you know, an authoritative voice or the authoritative voice on the environment uh, within the United Nations. And I think we should start expecting more from it. I, I do think we need something like a biannual state of the planet report, which lets us know exactly where we are, what's going well, what's no, not going well, what we need to do. And this should inform the international community. How are we going to actually go beyond a conversation and sort of a recognition that we have an issue to really, if you like, holding the feet to the fire, to really say, how are we going to actually achieve the, the change on the ground that is ultimately what you need to see? And I think with the UN Environmental Assembly, uh, the ambition for it was very high when it was created. And I was involved with the negotiations around its its establishment. We had high expectations. It was to be the global authority together with the UN Environment Programme that is setting the agenda and letting us know where we're going. Um, I think what we really need to do is firstly have a definitive document through the Environmental Assembly that sets out the state of the planet. Let us know what is not just the state of climate or biodiversity or desertification, what is the state of the planet? Where are we? Where have we got to? Where are the gaps? 
and use that to inform the Global Environment Facility, UN Development Program, national governments. We don't have that. They, we don't have this definitive document. The other thing is, with multilateral environmental agreements, they all have their own processes. Some have quite a well-developed compliance process like CITES, others don't. But what we need to do, the Environmental Assembly can look at all of the multilateral environmental agreements in, in their totality and say, are we achieving what countries said they wanted to achieve through these agreements? And if not, why not? And review it and be a little bit more direct about you know, where we're making progress and where not, and then galvanise um, some further multilateral and, and national effort around that. That was John Scanlon, a former senior environmental official. The population of African penguins is plunged from more than one million breeding pairs to barely 13,000 in just over a century. Found only in South Africa and neighboring Namibia, the endangered species fares increasing challenges amid a warming world. According to the South African Environment Ministry, African penguins could become extinct within a decade at current rates of decline. However, the work of a penguin whisperer seeks to reverse that trend. Julie Shire has more. Dyer Island, located about 10 kilometers off the western Cape town of Hans Bay, is home to breeding colonies of the endangered African penguin and other seabirds. Founded in 2006, the African Penguin and Seabird Sanctuary and Dyer Island Conservation Trust project tend to their every needs. They are the brainchild of conservationist Wilford Chevelle through the help of Marine Dynamics. Marine Dynamics is a, a company that takes people out to do whale watching and shark cage diving. The only way that we can support um, a very expensive but very necessary um, penguin rehabilitation centre is to have um, many clients join us on um, our trips and that can pay for conservation of the penguins in, in our area. Everything from pollution and habitat loss to overfishing have pushed these penguins to the brink of extinction. African Penguin and Seabird Sanctuary takes care of ill, injured and abandoned penguins. There seems to be a tireless dedication here and the center's senior bird rehabilitator Kolani Lao has such a way with penguins, it's earned him the title of the Penguin Whisperer. I talk to them as if they understand me. So in return, it's more like you respect them, they will respect you back. So slow movement around them and we also learn a lot from these penguins. We have like 19 penguins here, 8 are releasable and then 11 are not. Every penguin saved here is a step towards the survival of this species and increasing numbers on Dyer Island. We are on uh, almost like 900 breeding pairs on that island. We used to have 25,000 breeding pairs on that island alone, so that says a lot. So we are focusing now on stabilizing the island, which is now each and every bird that is injured or abandoned chicks from there, we make sure that needs to be brought here and then we look after those penguins and then release them as soon as they're better. Thanks to Kolani's work and African Penguin and Seabird Sanctuary here in Hans Bay, these little guys get a second chance and we can hopefully prevent them from going extinct. That was Julie Shire reporting. 
The early onset bloom of a special tropical flower in Mexico has set off alarm bells on climate change among local residents and scientists. Uh, jacaranda trees have been an iconic and photogenic mainstay of the streets in Mexico City. They normally start to bloom in spring at the end of March, but some of the trees began blooming in early January this year. A scientist warned that as the trees attract more hummingbirds, bees, and butterflies that find food and shelter in them, and um, uh, more so than many, many other native trees, uh, a change in flowering could lead to a decrease in the population of those species. We're at 28 past the hour. Beijing's down to minus 4 on Monday night. Tuesday will be cloudy and 6 degrees. Nanchung's down to plus 1, then a slight rainfall of 9. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad will have a little bit of rain, a low of 7 overnight, then cloudy and 20. Vientiane's down to 22 degrees, then sunny and 32. Phnom Penh's at 23 overnight, then a light rainfall with a high of 34. In Africa, Nairobi's getting light rainfall and 26 degrees on Tuesday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China's top legislature is preparing for its annual session that begins next week. Qatar and Egypt will each hold a round of talks on reaching a truce in the Israel-Hamas conflict. The sixth session of the UN Environment Assembly is taking place in Nairobi, Kenya this week. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. German Railway Company Deutsche Director of the International Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, 你好, or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Monday. Still to come. In business, measuring the progress of development in the Beijing-Tianjin-Hebei region. In sports, China's dominance at the World Team Table Tennis Championship Finals. In culture and entertainment, hundreds of millions on various platforms tuned in to China's annual Lantern Festival Gala. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. First of all, with the day's headline news, here's Tianlu. Thank you, Shane. 
China says it firmly opposes a U.S. report concerning China's WTO compliance, accusing Washington of bullying and practicing unilateralism. The Commerce Ministry says the United States has disrupted the global industrial and supply chains with its trade bullying and discriminatory policies. China called on the U.S. to abide by World Trade Organization rules and work with other members to safeguard the multilateral trading system. The ministry also slammed new UK and EU sanctions on Chinese companies, saying the unilateral move is long-arm jurisdiction and has no legal basis. Chinese Commerce Minister Wang Wentao has reiterated China's support for developing countries, including Arab nations, to join the multilateral trading system. He was speaking at the China Roundtable on WTO accessions in Abu Dhabi. The Commerce Minister signed the renewal of the Memorandum of Understanding of the WTO's Least Developed Countries and Accessions Program with WTO Director General Ngozi Okonjo-Iwala. The program was established in 2011 to strengthen the participation of the least developed countries in the WTO and assist them in joining the organization. The Chinese official is also attending the WTO's 13th Ministerial Conference in Abu Dhabi. A blue book on China's aerospace science and technology says the country will have around 100 launch missions this year. Those include flights for two cargo ships and two manned spacecraft to the Tiangong space station. China's first commercial launch site in Wenchang will also lift its first rocket. The document shows that other missions include returning the first lunar samples from the far side of the moon and launching new carrier rockets. Malaysian Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim has reportedly condemned the so-called Chinophobia among the United States and some of its Western allies. In an interview with the London-based Financial Times, Ibrahim said he doesn't buy into the strong prejudice against China. Anwar said he has told U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris that the Southeast Asian country wants to focus on what is best for itself in a complex world. Calling China an important neighbor, Anwar said his government will give priority to enhancing relations with China in the fields of trade, investment and culture. A major donor for Nikki Haley's U.S. presidential campaign says it is withdrawing support for the Republican candidate. The political network, financed largely by billionaire Charles Koch, says it will no longer fund Haley's bid for the White House. The announcement follows Haley's loss in her home state's Republican primary, where Donald Trump claimed victory. The decision deals a blow to Haley as she has vowed to continue against a former president. Palestinian Prime Minister Mohammed Shtai says he has submitted the government's resignation to President Mahmoud Abbas. Shtai says his decision comes amid the political, security and economic developments of the conflict in Gaza and the escalation in the West Bank. South Korean doctors have staged fresh protests against the government's plan to recruit more medical students. The dispute centers on the recent announcement that universities will admit 2,000 more medical students next year. The government says it aims to address a shortage of medical personnel given the country's fast-aging population. Many doctors fear that schools won't be able to handle so many new students and the funding is more urgently needed to raise medical fees. Kim Tae-woo is the emergency committee chief of the Korean Medical Association.
Our goal is to make the government realize it is a wrong policy and urge them to start the dialogue from the beginning. Meantime, the government has set Thursday as a deadline for Trini doctors to return to work or face consequences. Thousands of supporters of former Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro have rallied in the country's biggest city to defend him against legal challenges that could put him in jail. Bolsonaro is under investigation over his alleged role in the attacks on government buildings by his supporters over his election laws in January last year. He is also accused of illegally receiving jewels from Saudi Arabia during his presidency. Presidency. Many of his supporters say the Supreme Court is persecuting the former president and that the incumbent's narrow victory in 2022 was unfair. Bolsonaro has denied that he and his supporters attempted a coup when rioters assaulted government buildings a year ago. He wants those still in jail for the attacks to get pardons. The Australian state of Victoria is grappling with a wildfire emergency that has lasted days and forced thousands to evacuate. More than 15 bushfires were burning in the state on Sunday. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has pledged full support for Victoria. Uh, We will provide whatever support is requested from Victoria. These are difficult times and I say to people, uh, listen to the advice of the authorities. Uh, We need to make sure that we uh, watch and act when that advice uh, comes through. The fires have killed livestock, destroyed six homes and forced over 2,000 people to evacuate. Australia is in the grips of an El Nino weather pattern, which is typically associated with extreme phenomena such as wildfires, cyclones and droughts. Thank you very much. That was Tian Lu with Headline News. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital coming up in business, measuring the progress of development in the Beijing Tianjin Hebei region. The Beijing Hour, your window on China and the rest of the world. 37 past the hour. Turning to business, here's Wang Zihang. Thank you, Shane. The Chinese mainland market closed lower on Monday, snapping a nine-session winning streak. The Shanghai Composite Index dipped back below 3,000 points as investors appear to access the sustainability of the recent rally. Timothy Pope has more. Chinese stock markets snapped their nine-session winning streak with uh, the Shanghai Composite Index dipping back below 3,000 points, the loss of a bit less than 1%. The dip was mostly profit-taking. Investors were sort of pausing to assess the sustainability of the recent rally. The rebound has been pretty astonishing. Uh, The Shanghai Composite Index uh, was up more than 11% from its low close on the 5th of February, while uh, the CSI 300 was up more than 12%. So uh, I think a mild correction at this stage uh, isn't all that surprising, especially uh, since the recent gains have carried both of those indexes back into positive territory for the year so far. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index lost more than half a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei was up nearly 0.4 percent. The decade-long coordinated development in the Beijing-Tianjin-Hebei region has achieved substantial progress in aligning growth. The region has seen over 43,000 entities from Beijing and Tianjin establishing bases and branches in Hebei, with the Xung'an New Area playing a prominent role. More than 50 new projects, including support facilities and innovation platforms, have recently started in the area. Wang Yanwei is the director of the Xung'an New Area Bureau of Reform and Development. 
This year, the annual investment arrangement for the Xiong'an new area still maintained above 200 billion yuan, which will continue to lay foundation and create conditions for undertaking Beijing's non-capital functions. Over the past decade, the coordinated development in the region has also prioritized transportation infrastructure. There is a commuting circle with over 40 trunk roads linking the cities in the region that keep most trips under 90 minutes. Meanwhile, Hebei authorities say they will support more companies to establish branches in the province. The foreign trade value of the Beijing-Tianjin-Hebei region has increased from around 3.7 trillion yuan, or about 514 million U.S. dollars in 2014, to surpass 5 trillion yuan last year, marking a 34.4% increase. The region reaped over 471 billion yuan of high-tech product imports in 2023, posting 25.8% growth from 2014. Shi Qingke is the head of um, overseas business at an NEV company based in Hebei. Since August 2023, sales of new energy vehicles have totaled 57,000 units, accounting for nearly 20% of all vehicles, and seeing a 431% yearly increase. Marching high with a Beijing-based foreign trade company says the region's customs clearance integration policy has further optimized the business environment and facilitated enterprises in expanding foreign business. Before the regional policy was rolled out, we needed to frequently travel between Beijing and the Tianjin ports to undergo procedures, spending a lot of time. With the implementation of integrated customs clearings, we can now apply for customs clearings in Beijing and our products can be handled in Tianjin ports, which has indeed brought great convenience to enterprises. In 2023, the import and export value through the ports of Beijing, Tianjin and Hebei reached nearly 3.1 trillion yuan, an increase of 28.3 percent over 2014. For more insights, Gas Manikam spoke with Professor Yang Hangjun from the University of International Business of Economics in China. Professor Yang, thank you for joining us on the show. What are some of the changes that stood out for you after the plan? So uh, I think a decade in, into the integration of the region, and a significant progress has been made. Uh, for example, through the integration, non-capital functions of Beijing have been reduced, right? Um, so reducing pressures on the resources and the environment. Uh, especially, I think, uh, over the past decade, air quality in the region has been significantly improved, right? especially with the PM 2.5 concentration reduced about 60%. I think second, a big progress has been made on the transportation integration. The high-speed railway network in the region has been built. The air transportation, especially the Beijing Daxing Airport, located at the border of Beijing Daxing District, and the Hebei's Longfang city uh, has effectively eased the congestion of Beijing capital airport, so making travel more convenient for the residents in Hebei and the southern part of Beijing. And third, I think the Beijing city subcenter and the Xiong'an new area, serving as the new dual engines for Beijing, both play a crucial role in taking over the dispersion of non-capital functions of Beijing. So the construction of the, the first batch of central enterprises headquarters in the Xiong'an new area is progressing smoothly with over 200 subsidiaries 
and various branches established in Zhong'an new area. And also the high quality development of the Beijing sub-center has taken new steps forward. Almost all Beijing municipal government agencies have been moved to the city sub-center. That was Professor Yang Hangjun at the University of International Business and Economics. Foreign manufacturing companies are increasing their presence in the Chinese market, taking advantage of new opportunities. Wheelow Group, a German manufacturer of pumping systems, has recently opened a new facility in the eastern city of Changzhou. Biran spoke with the company's vice president to learn about its goals and aspirations. For many, 2023 was a year marked by challenges. But in the face of adversity, Wheelow Group, a German provider of pumps and pumping systems, has successfully navigated the Chinese market by opening a new high-tech plant in the city of Changzhou. Significant sales and growth have followed in key areas. By investing in the new factory, Lyman Tu, Vice President of Willow Group, says the group wants to write another successful chapter in its China story. Our Changzhou factory launched last September and spread over 24 acres, features Europe's latest attack in IE5 permanent magnet motors and efficient water pumps. It aims to produce 3 million units yearly for clients in China and Southeast Asia. Willow China currently runs 14 business branches in the country. Its Changzhou factory is the third manufacturing base in the country, after building plants in Beijing and Qinghuangdao. With the growing importance and the potential of the Chinese market, the group has further invested in research and development to increase its product portfolio in China as part of the company's 2025 strategy. China now ranks as the group's second largest market. Our factory has a strong confidence in China's economy, especially with its push for openness and high-quality development in recent years. Not just the Willow Group, but according to a business confidence report covering 566 member companies of the German Chamber of Commerce in China, 42% of them expect positive industry development in the next year, compared to only 21% in 2023. Furthermore, 78% expect consistent growth over the next five years. There was Biran reporting. The Mobile World Congress, the telecoms industry's biggest annual gathering, is underway in the Spanish city of Barcelona. Chinese tech giants such as Xiaomi and Honor are showcasing their new products at the event. This year's theme is Future First, with artificial intelligence expected to be the buzzword. Chief Marketing Officer Laura Duar, which the organizers says they have planned lots of events. Everybody is going to be talking about AI. We have almost 260 sessions across 18 stages. At least 50 of those will formally be about AI, but I think almost every conversation and debate we have this year will come back to or reference AI in some way, shape or form. The Mobile World Congress originally started as the place for brands to show off their latest cell phones. It's since moved into a wider tech event, presenting gadgets like VR headsets, robots and even revolutionary transport systems. 
And finally, tourists are flocking to China thanks to a rebound in the global tourism sector. In January, the number of tourists visiting China from South Korea surged more than ninefold to 140,000. To meet the increasing demand, Korean airline operators and travel agencies have been reinstating previously suspended routes and crafting new travel itineraries. One of the top destinations is Hainan Island, following the recent expansion of the country's visa-free entry policy. All right, thank you very. Much that was Wang Zhang with business. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. And coming up in sports, we look at China's dominance at the World Team Table Tennis Championship Finals. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related: the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. It's 48 past the hour now. Turning to sports, here's Brandon Nates. Thank you, Shane. And China cruised past France 3-0 to claim its 11th consecutive men's title at the World Team Table Tennis Championships Finals. It was also a record-extending 23rd time that China has lifted the Swathling Cup. There were some tough moments for the team, but they did prevail 3-0. China also claimed the women's team title. It was their sixth straight title and also a record-extending 23rd time overall. The team managed to survive a full-set thriller to get the better of Japan. China's Sun Yingsha claimed the women's MVP award, while Fan Jingdong won the men's award. Jin Wang of Heilongjiang won gold in the women's cross-country skiing youth group short-distance final at the China National Winter Games. On the med side, Xinjiang Semuha Sayalika took home the gold and is now targeting the Winter Olympics. I was quite angry about the competition two days earlier, and I was thinking that I must beat everybody. I want to thank my coach especially, as I get this result under him. And my goal is to take part in the Winter Olympics. Over in men's figure skating, Beijing's Jin Boyang finished on top in the short program, and he believes that overall it was a pretty good performance. Overall, it was pretty good. All the jumps were decided after six minutes of practice, and none of the moves had been attempted in training, so I had no idea how the performance would go. I'm very excited now, as a huge group of fans came to support me here and inspired me to show my best form. Right now, I don't have too much pressure in training or in competitions, because I work hard every day. So during the events, I do my best according to the training layout, and it doesn't matter if I finish or fail, as long as I can maintain good form and fight. Beijing's Pen Cheng and Wang Lei won the pairs free skate, while Sichuan's Jin Shixian won the women's final. Japan defeated China 76-73 at home in the second round of the FIBA Asia Cup 2025 qualifiers in Group C on Sunday. This was Japan's first victory against China in major international competition since 1936. Yudai Baba scored a game-high 24 points. Hu Jinqiu led China with 23 points and 12 rebounds, and he admitted that it was a very regrettable game. It's a very regrettable game, but we fought hard until the end, and thank all the Chinese fans who support us. We will summarize this game well, remember the loss, work harder, and keep going in the future. China's next opponent will be Guam later this week. 
Shanghai Shenhua sealed a narrow 1-0 victory over Shanghai Port to claim the Chinese Football Association Super Cup title. This is the fourth time Shenhua has claimed the title. Port was crowned in the Chinese Super League while Shenhua lifted the CFA Cup in the 2023 season. Several key players of both teams were sidelined due to injury. The first half ended goalless between the two teams. The deadlock was broken in the 55th minute as Xu Hao Yang sent the ball in front of the goal after receiving a corner kick. Port goalkeeper Yan Junling tried to block it but failed, only to see it bounce into the net. Shenhua managed to maintain the advantage until the end. And finally, Virgil van Dijk headed a 118th-minute winner to seal the Carabao Cup for Liverpool with a 1-0 win over Chelsea. Reds manager Jurgen Klopp described the win as his most special to date. I got taught outside that there's an English phrase, you don't win trophies with kids. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, right in you. Um, it is in my well, longer career than mine, but in my more than 20 years, easily the most special trophy I ever won. It's absolutely exceptional. Chelsea boss Maurizio Pochettino said his side feels the pain. No, they are uh, professional and uh, we are very competitive and now we need to move forward. But they need to feel the pain. I think they need to feel that the competition. We play for a, for a trophy we didn't get and, and now it's, it's the same. Why you can, can tell me that can me, you know, to feel better. Nothing. Pochettino's wait for a first trophy in England continues. All right, thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with Sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, hundreds of millions on various platforms tuned into China's annual Lantern Festival Gala. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 53 past the hour now. Turning to culture and entertainment, uh, here is uh, Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. The Lantern Festival Gala, presented by China Media Group over the weekend, has received praise from both domestic and international audiences. Data shows the total number of viewers reached 353 million across various media platforms. The live streaming of the gala on new media platforms reached 184 million views, while the television broadcast had 169 million viewers, both higher than the previous year. The gala stunned audiences with a captivating blend of traditional Chinese culture and cutting-edge innovations. It showcased a diverse array of performances encompassing music, dance, comedy, opera, and acrobatics. Villagers in Arshan in Mongolia and artists from Tsinghua University have collaborated to create eye-catching artworks based on wicker-weaving craftsmanship. Further plans have been made to extend this program, Zhang Yuan reports. Three figures made from wicker are shown embracing one another with the warm light shining from deep inside. This large glowing installation is called Warmth and it stands on a small hill in Shikou village, Arksan city, Inner Mongolian Autonomous Region. It was created by artists from the Academy of Arts and Design of Tsinghua University in collaboration with the residents of Shikou village. 
It combines local wicker hand weaving techniques with luminescent materials bound on a steel frame structure in the shape of three people embracing. Wicker weaving is a traditional folk craft in Shiko village. The artists selected this as the main material for the work and encouraged more locals to join in by tapping into their enthusiasm and allowing them to step into the role of the main creators. We have a strong foundation in arts and crafts at our academy. This time, we were thinking whether we could translate the concepts of our digital designs into a real natural setting. 48-year-old villager Dong Yali has been doing wicker weaving since she was a teenager. She and some other villagers helped create this work. The artists provided the design and outlined the structure, and we participated in the wicker weaving. There were 13 of us who joined in. The collaboration provided the artists with new sources of inspiration and broadened the artistic ideas of the local craftsmen. We know that traditional wicker weaving relies on the tension of the materials to form a container, as this is what they are usually used for. But in such a large artwork like this, there should be some structural design. For parts like the posteriors or arms, which are bent, we said, let's do it this way. Then the professor would say, no, this won't work. This won't produce the beauty of the lines. So we integrated his ideas and tried to weave. And if the weaving didn't turn out to be very good, we pulled it back and tried again. After completing the work, we often come up with artistic ideas while weaving other things. And we really learned a lot from this exercise. That was Zhang Yuan reporting. China's box office earnings in February have surpassed the milestone of 10 billion yuan or 1.4 billion US dollars. A large part of this was the record-breaking revenue of over 8 billion yuan during the spring festival holiday. This holiday season, YOLO emerged as the reigning champion at China's box office, raking in nearly 3.2 billion yuan. This accounts for 31% of the total monthly box office revenue thus far. Industry analysts credit the success of several films all released during the holiday season to their family-friendly nature. And finally, the Paris Opera Ballet concluded its gala performances at the Shanghai Oriental Arts Center over the weekend. The shows were among a series of cultural events to mark the 60 years of diplomatic relations between China and France. The Paris Opera Ballet provided two performances in Shanghai for this tour. They are also the first French company to visit the theater. Several other French groups will be visiting China this year, including the China debut of the Royal Opera Orchestra of the Palace of Versailles in April. The Ballet de l'Opicard de Bordeaux will also be touching down in May. All right, thank you very much. And that was Yang Guang with Culture and Entertainment. We're at 58 past the hour. Beijing's down to minus 4 on Monday evening. Tuesday is cloudy and 6 degrees. Nanchang's down to plus 1, then a slight rainfall in 9 degrees. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad's getting a slight rain with a, a low of 7 this evening, then cloudy and 20 on Tuesday. Vientiane's at 22 overnight, tomorrow is sunny and 32. Phnom Penh's at 23 overnight, then a light rainfall and 34 degrees Celsius. In Africa, Nairobi's getting a light rainfall and 26 on Tuesday. Kampala's down to 21 degrees this evening, then a light rain and 25.
That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, China's top legislature is preparing for its annual session that begins next week. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From north to south, east to west, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 